Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 107 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I'm excited to introduce you to a guy by the name of Ben Snyder. And he got the call that not a lot of people do, but we all kind of think about it from time to time, which is what if we got the job? What if somebody tapped us on the shoulder and said, you're it? And uh, he stepped into the senior leader role of a large church in Toledo, Ohio, multi-site church reaching thousands on the weekend when his senior pastor, um, sadly, tragically, was diagnosed with an illness. And the senior pastor called him up one day and just said, hey, we'd like you to run this. And, you know, Ben was the most surprised. And we have a great conversation all about how his first year in leadership has gone. And I, I, I said to Ben, you know what, I can see why they tapped you on the shoulder. And I think you're going to love meeting him, a bright new leader, uh, really figuring things out as he goes along and doing an incredible job of it. So we're going to talk all about that. I think you're going to love it. And uh, I just want to say thank you for the last little while, man. I just, here's my guess. I think a lot of you have been sharing this podcast because our downloads are just through the roof. Like, I don't know what's happening, but you guys are incredible. And I just want to say thank you so much. Obviously, we've had some great guests and uh, coming up soon, we've got Chuck Swindoll. We got Tony Morgan next week. We've got some incredible guests coming down the pipe. So if you haven't subscribed yet, would you do that today? Just hit subscribe. You can do that on Google Play and you can also do that on iTunes. That would be incredible. And if you find an episode like this one or another episode you listen to to be helpful, I would love for you to be able to share that with other people. Hey, I want to thank today's episode partner, our sponsor, and that is Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. You can go to enjoystewardship.com and they are going to help you do something that, frankly, I got stuck on at one point as a church leader. They're going to help you fully fund the vision because my guess is you probably have more vision than resources right now. That's the story with a lot of visionaries, and we were there. And in fact, a few years ago, we didn't have quite the resources to fulfill the vision. And so I turned to, among others, Enjoy Stewardship Solutions, and they helped us tremendously. They got us into a brand new building. They uh, helped us figure out how to track with donors better and you know what? There is nothing like a vision fully funded. So if that's you, you want to head on over into enjoystewardship.com today. All the links are in the show notes, and I would love for you uh, to check out what they've got. In fact, they've even got a free sermon series for you. They've got a series all about some messages that you can download that could even help you double your church giving. So go to enjoystewardship.com and thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast and also the email that we send out every week. There's over 30,000 of you who subscribe to our email list. And if you don't yet, just go to my blog, kerryneuhoff.com and you can sign up for free today. And that way you'll never miss one of these, but you'll also never miss some of the writing uh, that I do as well. So, hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. Man, I'm so glad you guys are along. And here is my conversation with Ben Snyder. Well, Ben, welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really glad to have you. Thanks, Carrie. It is uh, humbling. It's an honor to be spending a little time with you. Well, it's a lot of fun. You, you, I've found out you're a listener of the podcast, right? You know, I can take you to the 
place in my backyard where I turned on an episode that you had with John Stickle. I think it was episode 29 at a key that. time in my transition. And ever since then, I've been playing a little bit of catch up, sharing it with our team. And your, your guests, your words of encouragement have uh, been invaluable to me as a leader. And so thanks. Well, I really appreciate it. And it's just going to get better today because you're on as a guest. So this is this is great. Right, right. Uh, you found yourself in a situation that um, some leaders dream about, some leaders dread. The circumstances were not great in your case because unfortunately it involved some bad news for someone else. But you were tapped on the shoulder to become the new senior pastor of a very successful multi-site church, taking over for Lee Powell, who founded it, who led it for two decades, incredibly, grew a mega church in Toledo, Ohio, which is like crazy. I know, yep, yep. you know, we're Great Lakes neighbors. I'm just above Lake Ontario. You're below Lake Erie. So, I mean, we're yeah. pretty much related. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, our cultures aren't that different. And in the midst of it, you know, you get tapped on the shoulder and you're how old when this phone call comes? I was 35 years old, 35. Wow. Wow. And that was just last year. So tell us what it was like to, to get that phone call, the circumstances around it, and what that did to your mind, because here you are, the lead pastor of a very large church and taking over for a guy who's kind of a legend in your church and area. Well, you know, that's a story probably in and of itself. Um, Lee got diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2014, and we began the process of transition. I just didn't know really what my role was going to be in all of that. Um, I I was the first intern that Cedar Creek had about 17 years ago. And I'd had variety of roles. And, you know, as you grow in leadership, people would ask, do you ever see yourself leading Cedar Creek someday? And I would laugh and I would say, you know, the famous football coach Lou Holtz was asked if he wanted to follow Woody Hayes. And he said, you know what? I don't want to follow the legend Woody Hayes. I want to follow the guy who follows him. And that was <laughs> that was always my response. You know, who wants to follow a founding pastor as legendary as Lee Powell? Because God used him to radically impact thousands of lives here in Northwest Ohio. And so uh, when the invitation came, I was like, are you serious? So I'll I'll never forget my first response. Lee, you know, when he asked, I said, I'm not qualified. And uh, he just looked back at me and said, neither was I. And that's how the conversation began. (laughs) That's a... That's a good conversation, a good response, and and away you go. So tell us some of the roles you had had at the church. I mean, starting as an intern 17 years ago. I helped lead our college ministry. Uh, I had a season in student ministry. I launched our fourth campus in the neighborhood in which I lived in South Toledo. Uh, I was invited to be the regional campus director overseeing all of our campuses. Um, And then I was asked to be the lead pastor. And of course, there's other little tasks and roles that you have along the way. Right. So you had been moving more and more into senior positions of leadership, but here you are. And tell us about like just the size of Cedar Creek. I mean, it's not an easy job. I don't think leadership at any size is easy, but I mean, this is a lot of stuff on your plate. Yeah. So we transitioned into um, uh, five campus with an online live streaming experience church that reaches about eight eight eighty five hundred people every weekend. Wow. Uh, we have five physical locations. Uh, four of them are permanent. One is leased or two are leased, three are permanent. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, wow. a, it's a pretty big footprint. That includes online and how many people show up 
like uh, real life? Physically, we have 8,500 who wow. show up. And so we have about another 1,500 online. That's crazy. That's <laughs> a lot. And so big staff too? Yeah, we have about just under 100 staff members. Yep. So that's complex leadership, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally is. <laughs> okay. So as you can tell, I want to lead like never before. And so I needed all the resources I could get. Well, we all do. So what parts of the transition have felt most challenging to you so far, Ben? Uh, you know, I think the uh, stepping into assignment where you clearly know you're over your head, but you are clearly called to the role hmm. uh, is challenging because on the one hand, you have to... Um, you have to acknowledge reality. I'm learning some parts of my job on the job as we go, and I'm thankful for an incredible team that helps me along the way. Um, but at the same time, you have to have this uh, confident humility that you've been called to this assignment. Yeah. Um, so that's been a challenge. I would say an, another challenge is just finding the right time. I'm a young leader. I like to move fast. Um, and yet when you're transitioning an organization, you have to care for people and transition well, especially when you're transitioning out a founding pastor who has meant so much to so many people. And so getting the right timing on when to move, what to move, what to say goodbye to, how you say goodbye to it, how you honor the past and how you step into the future. I don't think I have that down yet, but we've been able to navigate a lot of that. That's just been a real tension, good challenge for me. Yeah, and we'll take a deep dive into some of those dynamics. So what is Lee's role with the church now? Because it's different if a pastor is still kind of associated with the church or whether uh, he or she leaves. So how, how is that working with Lee and his illness and, and where he's at right now? Because he wasn't that old to get a diagnosis like Parkinson's. No, mid-50s, and he, and he wow. had a plan uh, where he was going to spend the next 10 years here and build a life of meaning outside of Cedar Creek. And all that got cut short because of Parkinson's. So uh, he uh, was able to work with Leadership Network, and he's pretty much a free employee for them, helping them coach and consult with other churches. And then he also uh, self-published a book and is consulting on the side, helping churches across the U.S. know how to how hear our story on how we grew and giving practical tips on how to break through 1,000, 2,000 people barriers and creative ways to lead and grow a church. And so, That's great. Yeah. Uh, what's the book called? Because we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Contrarian Church Leadership. Okay. That's Lee, great. Powell. Lee Powell. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, and w he's like, welcome at the church and people love him and the whole deal. Right. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, you never know what happens with transition, but uh, he was here three weeks ago, four weeks ago as a part of our series. Everybody loved seeing him. And so he's still connected to us, comes back and, and visits with us, but he moved to Dallas and uh, lives with his family down there. So he's like a, an honored guest every time he comes back. That's a, that's a great relationship to have and, and a good transition. So like naturally, would you consider yourself more of a preacher or more of a leader? Like where do you lean? Yeah, that's that spectrum. I, I would say in, in my 15, 16 years of hanging out in church world, I really like both. Yeah. Um, I don't like leaning one way or the other, um, but that creates uh, challenges when you're trying to deliver world-class messages and then lead at a high level, a large organization, and think about growth and the future. And so, it, but my approach to leadership is team-based. My approach to teaching is team-based. And so I think with a team, you get a lot done. 
Hmm. That's good. So what, what has gone better than you thought it would go in this transition? Because this is not just an issue for you. We've had, uh, you and I were talking before. I mean, John Stickle took over as a young leader. Um, we had Judd Wilhite on a previous episode, uh, episode 54. We had Tim Guptill. I think that's around episode 63. We'll link to all of those in the show notes. All transition things. But this is really important because there's a whole generation of large churches that were really built by a founder, and those founders are getting older, and for one reason or another, they're they're stepping out. And so uh, this is going to become, you know, this is sort of the, the front edge of something that I think is going to be dealt with by hundreds or thousands of churches in the next decade to 15 years. Uh, if I, and if I could echo that, if you if you are a listener and are in any sort of transition, picking up those podcasts, they were invaluable for me. I'll never forget Judd telling the story how he didn't unpack his boxes because he didn't know if he was going to be there a year yeah. or two later, right? Yeah. And so that episode helped me. That was a part of the conversation I had with my wife where we just said, hey, we don't know. We know we are called to help transition Cedar Creek to whatever is next. And typically, the guy who follows the founder, it doesn't always go well. So are we comfortable with that? And my wife and I said, yeah, we feel called to this, even if we get run out of town in two years. And our job is to help Cedar Creek move and transition to whatever God has next. But we're celebrating because... 10 months in, eight, nine months in, we're growing attendance. Our financial plat- place is stable wow. and our team is really excited. And so uh, they really believe that the best is yet to come, which is hard to imagine when you're a church that's had almost 20 years of unprecedented growth. And so we are really kind of saying, yay, God, and excited about the future. If you would have told me a year ago that we would be sitting where we're at today, I would have fist pumped and said, I'll take it. And so we're really, really excited. So let's unpack that. Why do you think that's happened? Other than the grace of God and, you know, God's grace is very, very present. But like, what are some of the key factors to have actually seen growth and uh, financial stability in a team that is, the, is your team still intact? Did you have a number of other transitions as well? Like, like unpack that for us. <laughs> Well, that's a big question, Carrie. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah. it's a long podcast. We can take yeah. as long as you have. So go ahead. You, yes, like three questions there. Yeah, uh, yeah. For us, when Lee when Lee announced to the church that he was going to transition on, that creates wake. Obviously, mm-hmm. when he announced that somebody almost twenty years younger is going to step into his spot, that creates wake. And then we had three other teaching team members announce that they are going to move on. Wow! So that creates wake. And so my, I think one of the key things that we focused on as a team was creating a sense of stability within our organization. Because for the, for the previous, you know, for the last six months until I began to transition in, it felt like a lot of whiplash. Hmm. And uh, so that was a key is you matter and God has a plan for us and we are going to be consistent again. And, uh, and I'm a marathoner. I love to, I've run seven marathons personally. And so I just say, Hey, I don't care how slow it gets. We're going to keep going one foot in front of the other. I've done it before. Um, but in a bigger picture, one of the reasons we're really able to celebrate where we're at today is we had a founding pastor who transitioned really well, Hmm. the make or break of transition, the, the heavier load really rests on the shoulders of the departing or stepping out senior leader. They can really hijack, mess up, or 
create a great launch pad for future success. And Lee was my biggest champion. He told everybody how excited he is about his future. And he did not stick around and keep his hands in all of the details of, of my style of leadership, which really gave me the opportunity to lead the way that I am wired. Are those some of the pitfalls? Uh, we'll get back into the other huge question in a few minutes, but are those some of the pitfalls that you and Lee both realized, hey, if we, you know, if he starts to put his hand back in the cookie jar or starts to criticize you, like what are some of the other pitfalls you knew you had to avoid? Uh, in some ways, you, you, I, we knew that verbally and I knew that because yeah. I knew what I didn't want him messing around with. But what I didn't know is whether he would be able to manage that when you have I call it founder syndrome. It's not bad. But when you've built the place, you know everything about it. You know everything that's there. And to hand that baby off to someone else requires a tremendous amount of courage to trust them and to not get in and tinker with what you intuitively know so well. And so when he physically moved to a new location, that created a little space, but he also was able to step into some fun assignments that kept his, you know, his meaning or significance tank filled. And that allowed me to step into the lead seat unencumbered and fully supported by our founding pastor. You and I uh, were talking about that before we hit record, that that's one of the biggest factors for a founding pastor is like, are all my best days behind me? And if they are, I'm likely to go back in and monkey around or criticize the new leader. And for Lee, he just found a new calling and a new chapter, even though he didn't have the physical or you know, resources that he used to because of the disease, he was able to find something meaningful to work into the future. Yeah. And he's doing a great job and he's still available for coaching, consulting on our end. And for me personally, when I need it. That's great. So um, tell us more about this first 10 months, almost a year now. And why do you think the growth continued? So you had, a, you had a few staff leave, you were saying, which is actually very natural. When a leader goes, people kind of go, Ha, okay, time for me to take a break too or to move on. Uh, what else happened? Um, so we had uh, a lot of f- familiar faces of the platform move on. Plant Churches, uh, Barb Bruce was one of our teaching team members. She decided to write a book and she's a traveling speaker. She's still a part of our church, but um, the congregation at large was wondering what's going to happen to Cedar Creek. And so my initial challenge uh, based on, I think it was Judd Wilhite, Um, was trying to help our people understand that the best is really yet to come, Mm -hmm. to not think that our best days are behind us. And so we worked really hard to say, hey, I think God, this is uh, one of my key phrases was there. Lee would talk all the time about a core group of 20 to 40 people who helped start Cedar Creek, and we wouldn't be here today without them. And so my opening language to our entire congregation is welcome to the new core group. Mm-hmm. You are a core of what God wants to do next. And whether you realize it or not, you have a role to play. And I believe the best is yet to come. You matter to God more than you could ever imagine. And so at about the same time we started, we simplified our advertising down in some ways to two words, you matter. Hmm. And uh, and those two words, we, we started saying them every single weekend to everybody who came. We made a series about them because if you think about the gospel message, the heart of it is that you matter to God more than you could ever imagine. And when you believe that that's true, it changes the way you respond to all of the temptations, opportunities, pitfalls, struggles around you. 
And uh, and so when a church is hurting, what do they need to hear? You matter, and we God has a future for us. And uh, people really latched onto that and started to believe it. And uh, so that, that was one of the key phrases. Another thing for me that was really helpful is because I've had a, a series of different roles and not all of them were my favorite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, if you're a young leader sitting there going, I don't like the assignment that I have today, never underestimate how your assignment today is actually preparing you for what God wants to do next. Wow. Because what for me, what I had to learn is how I was wired to lead and be so used to that kind of rhythm that when I stepped into the seat that I'm in now, I didn't try to duplicate Lee. So I knew what our differences were so that I could lead with confident humility in the way that God had wired me. And our team really responded and adjusted to that really well. But I think they were able to do that because I was pretty clear. So. Wow. So that was good. And then, and then, um, how did you deal with the team issues? Did you, did you appoint new communicators? You say you're very team-based in your leadership. So how did you fill the vacancies? Yeah. Over the last eight months, um, what people did not realize at our church is uh, one of the first things that I did, and I'll take a step back, is I put a team of people around me to help me prepare messages. I call it the squawk box. Okay. And uh, so, you know, that noisy box in the corner, these are people who want to teach at some level. And so um, they speak into the message process. I was able to watch them and listen to them give me feedback to evaluate their future potential. And so we have introduced probably six new communicators to our church in the last eight months. and, And I play a role in helping prepare them for that. To the point where whenever I say there's a guest coming on, our church now goes, oh, I can't wait to see. Because they didn't realize how much talent we really had in our organization. So that's been fun. So are those staff positions or uh, not all staff or how does that work? Um, I, you know, there, there have been a couple of guests that are not staff, they are friends, but most of them are staff. And I still have probably five or six other individuals who are ready to step onto the platform. Um, it's really now about the right time and the right topic. Oh, that's so, great. So you've developed other talent. You haven't put it all on you. Financially, how's it been? You said it's been stable. So you didn't see an exit of givers with the exit of the founder. Yeah, we are we are matching last year's budget headed into this next year. And so those finance pieces um, become, uh, th- th- some of that was my learning curve. You know, I didn't sit in, a, in an operations seat or a finance department, um, you know, so learning how to predict and react to the financial trends of an organization has been a, probably a really fresh new learning for me over the last year, but we're thankful for where we're at today. And we think the next year we're going to see some growth in that area. Oh, that's great. Anything else that went better than you expected? Uh, you know, uh, when you have a team of people who have served faithfully a founding pastor for years, who in many ways hired me or were my boss in, in different, depending on the job that I had, in turn, look at me and say, brother, I'm going to serve you whatever you need, wherever you're going to go. And then to watch them do that, uh, that's a pretty remarkable uh act of humility and service and leadership. And so for people who are sitting on a team that are going to go through transition, what an incredible gift to give an incoming leader. That, that's, that's gone so much better than I expected. I didn't know how they were going to respond to me as a leader. And they've kind of lowered their shoulder and said, we're running with you. Let's go. You know, the wow. best is yet to come. So that's a credit to Lee too and the health Absolutely. of the organization he left. 
Now, um, personally, you're a dad. You and your wife were ready to pack your boxes, I guess, because you didn't have anything to unpack. You were at the church. But, you know, if this was a one or two year thing, God was, you know, you were willing to do that. How's it been personally? Because it doesn't look like it's trending in that direction. Right. For us, we were prepared for whatever. We both felt called to this assignment, both of us. And so when you're united as a husband and wife, um, that makes any road bumps that, and there's been road bumps, it hasn't all been easy, but that makes the road uh, roadblocks or uh, speed bumps that you hit navigatable because you don't get stuck questioning the call, the kind of the assignment that you've been given. It, it's more of a matter, okay, let's just keep going. Whatever God has next, he'll provide. So for the two of us, we have felt really uh, connected and united every step of the way. We have uh, three kids. We actually celebrated the arrival of number four the Monday before Easter this past oh, wow. year. Wow. My first Easter as lead pastor. So that I'm fortunate that my wife is a teammate in ministry with me. And so I wouldn't be the leader I am today without her. So, but it's been fun. It's been an adventure. And that's kind of the way we lead. How's the time challenge been? Like, did you feel the weight of leadership? come on you? Has it, has it tempted you to work more hours? Are you working more hours? Like how do you do the whole home life work thing now in this new role? Or has it really been, you know, pretty much business as usual? Uh, that's a great question. You know, when I hear people say that there's a work-life balance, I don't, I don't, I mean, yes, you need to have, I know you're not saying that, but there, there's no such thing. So there's, there are seasons where you lean in at work and, and if you're united at home, you do it together. Um, but uh, a coach uh, and consultant for our organization and a friend of mine said, Ben, you don't have to overwork. You just have to show up healthy every day and your strengths will show up for you. And so for me, that was great advice, especially early on when I felt overwhelmed how am I going to get all of this done? The, the reality is you're not. And, but what the organization needs is not an overworked or uh, somebody who's in the office all the time. They need a healthy me, and um, which healthy me isn't just physically, but it's sleeping well. It's connected well with my family. And so our leadership team really gave me the space to lean into that. And, uh, and, and I think we're paying the, we're receiving the dividends of that today. That's great. I mean, that's really good advice. And I totally agree with you. I've got this course out called The High Impact Leader. And that's one of the first units. It's like balance is a myth. I, yeah. I think I think passion is the key. You should passionately do. You know, great leaders aren't balanced people. They're passionate people. And so I think if you attack work with passion and home with passion and rest with passion and the other things in your life with passion, you'll you'll live a much better life. So, And I agree. And I think I still got a lot to learn there. So I'm looking yeah. forward to reading the resources that you have uh, coming out. Did you feel pressure to to do more when you stepped into this role? Did you feel like there were expectations that came with the title or like, because sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to work more, but everybody expects me to work more. Did you run into that or that just wasn't part of your culture? Um, I, I Honestly, the pressure, you don't, you can't describe it until you feel it. And it's not just working more. I feel the pressure every weekend. I want to serve our people by helping them understand the Bible in practical ways, but they have access to Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley. That's yeah. That's pressure. 
you know? And so when I'm sitting here putting together a message, I'm like, you know what? Just play them. They, they, those guys are so good. <laughs> um, I feel pressure to lead at a high level. And, and yet the pressure, so that, that requires a certain level of aptitude and courage and tenaciousness. And then I feel pressure to be a great dad, a world-class dad. And so um, if, if, if it's the pressure to be perfect, I'm going to be crushed. If it's the pressure to show up and to be faithful, to fill that assignment with the best passion and all that I have, then I think God shows up in the gaps and makes up those differences. How did you figure that out? That's a good insight. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Andy Stanley's choosing to cheat. You know, yep. Andy's been very courageous about sharing his story. Um, uh, John Stickle, I had a phone call with him and he said, you know, for you and me, for young leaders, this is really about our hearts. At the end of the day, we lead people out of the way God is leading us. And so you can choose to make it all about your name and what you can accomplish, or you can deal with the insecurities and the issues of your heart. And as God deals with those, he will lead your church to places that you could never get it because he's leading you to places that you would never get to on your own. And so for me, when I start to feel that pressure build up, I just go, okay, God, this is a hard issue. This is about an invitation for me to trust you and to keep stepping forward, even though I don't know that I have it all. I don't know that I'm everything that I need to be, or I'm always getting it right. So God, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep leading. I'm going to keep teaching. I'm going to keep being a dad and trust that you're showing up in the gaps. Oh man. See, and that, that gives me so much hope, Ben. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, when I think about leaders like John Stickle and yourself, and there's a number of 30-something leaders I've had who are now responsible for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes stuff they didn't build, right? Like That's right. You know, it's like, whoa, we're in these big shoes to fill. And when I see hearts like that in a perspective like that, it gives me tremendous hope for the church and yeah. for the future. So we're good. We're so fortunate that we live in a day where we can connect via technology. We have, I have access to resources that 90% of the f- church fathers who have gone before us would have given anything to have access yeah. to. And so that just, that means a lot to me. Yeah. I'm old enough that we had to like get cassettes. So <laughs> think about how depressing that would be, Ben. What are those? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm exactly. Kidding, exactly. CDs, CDs. Um, so, so we talked about some of the real positives. Now, what has been, let's drill down a little bit harder than you thought. What part were you like, whoa, I didn't see that coming? Um, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be when people said they're leaving uh-huh. to not take it personal. Mm-hmm. People that I, you know, people that I thought were with me you know, that were friends. And then they, they like suddenly disappear and show up at another church. Those, those uh, that hurts. And, and it's not about my ego. It was more about, man, I wanted to go on this journey with you. And now you're opting out right as I'm stepping into a key seat. Ouch, that hurts. And, you know, I know you don't want to get too specific, but like were some of those people on their way out anyway, or <laughs> more painfully, was it a reaction to the fact that you're now in the seat or like, was it life circumstances or like, how did that play out? You know, um, when I would ask, it would be, I wouldn't get a straight answer. So I don't, you know, I, 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 that was the hard part was if I could get, you know, Ben, we just really, 
we're never really friends with you to begin with. Or, you know, not that they would say that, you know, but then it would be like, oh, okay, that hurts. But at least I know the truth. Instead, it was you. you I couldn't really put my finger on it, you know, and, th- and they were trying to be kind, but they had just transitioned on. And that happened after, like, as you stepped into that role, you lost some people. Yeah, you see some people who it's not I knew people were going to leave. Mm hmm. But there were a handful of people who left that I thought, man, I'm really excited to be on this next journey with you. And uh, so that's the that's the thing that was that was that's been a challenge for sure. I uh, how do you process that? What do you do? Uh, uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I I think for me, um, you have to uh, talk to some close friends about it, Mm -hmm. because if you don't process it out, It'll sit under the surface and become, it'll validate the insecurities that drive leaders off the rails. And so you need places to go to say, hey, this hurts and and have people that, I have a personal board of directors. There are five or six men who have access to my life Mm -hmm. um, and, and I really seek them out to help. They can actually say no for me because when I'm facing decisions, I'll ask them, hey, do you think this is a wise thing for me to do? Um, and, uh, so those are places for me where I can go, man, this really hurts. And sometimes they know how to put their arm around me and go, Ben, I feel it. And other times they're like, suck it up, stop complaining. And they give me exactly what I need to so keep So they give on. you the reality check. Yeah. Can we talk about your personal board of directors? I wasn't yeah, aware sure. of that. And it, I actually have one too. And I, I think I underutilize them. They all live outside my community, but like I call them together you know, every few months or whatever, just to, to help me with some issues. It sounds like these guys have pretty close access to you, do they? Yeah. So uh, one would be my brother-in-law. So Great. our families interact quite a bit. So if he sees me get impatient with my wife or kids or I'm disconnected or always on my phone, he, he's actually instructed to call somebody on our staff and say, check in with Ben because he's not present when he needs to be present with his family. We call that a ripcord. Oh, wow. So he can, he can pull a ripcord. And it's not that I'm going to lose my job. It's just that I want eyes in every area of my life. And so he's one. My dad is another. Um, I have a pastor friend who is another. And then a, a young guy who was the Christian emphasis director of the YMCA for Toledo. He's now in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. who's a husband, father, key leader. Um, he checks in with me often. And so when I'm facing an obstacle or a decision, I will look at them and say, hey, I give them authority to speak into my life and I take it. It's not like I'm asking for advice. They are an actual advisor. And um, and typically they never go no or yes. They ask questions back that help uh, the obvious answer come to the surface. I think that's so good. And that's different than your elder board, right? Than the governing board at your church? Oh, absolutely. The governing board in some ways is what is responsible for my performance at work. My board of directors could care less whether I'm a pastor, whether I work at Home Depot. They care about me as a husband, a father, as a child of God, as a leader, as an individual leader. And they want to make sure that I don't, I've put them around me to make sure that I don't kind of run off the rails. That's so good. How long have you had that? 
I've been utilizing mentors for probably 10 years and some people have come and gone. And so I'm always in the process of developing other candidates, I would say, or other people. Mm -hmm. I, I'm fostering those sorts of relationships. So I have a couple guys in my life that are future potentials for my board of directors, but it takes time to build that relationship for them to get to know me and for me to get to know them and make sure, because what I don't need, I don't need yes men in my life. I don't need people who are just let me be. I need people who are going to have the courage to ask the tough questions that I don't even want to ask myself sometimes or to check in in those ways so that uh, it keeps me sharp. So do you like get together personally or do you do you uh, connect online or do you do like retreats or is it just, hey, come to my house, we'll have dinner and we'll talk? Like what does it work out to? Yeah, it depends on their location. So with Josh in Indianapolis, it's almost like a weekly phone call, but it's also, if he doesn't hear from me, he checks in with me. If I don't hear from him, I check in with him. Yeah. My my brother-in-law pretty much does life with me. And a local pastor friend sees me in and out of ministry all the time. Right. And, my, and then my dad, he's a couple hours away. But um, so I don't call them all together. However, okay. they are each instructed to, they have each other's contact info. They can check in with each other. And if they see something that uh, concerns them, uh, I, I have, when, when I'm in a healthy place, I've told them, if you see me go down a dangerous path, or even if you're just concerned, you know, let one of our team members who I, uh, kind of is, he's our senior executive pastor. You need to let him know so that he checks in with me and, or you can check in with my wife. You know, they have direct access to her to ask how I'm doing about anything. So when you're in a healthy place, setting all of those, uh, setting all of those communication ground rules in place. It, it helps uh, them know where to go if they see something comes up because that's what happens. Good friends, you see a friend going down the tubes and they disclose a little bit to you. You don't know what to do with that. You're kind of right. stuck. Or maybe they're closed in that season and you can't get past the right. third question. Yeah. So they don't know who to bring around, uh, what third person to bring around. And so, you know, I just keep trying to strengthen that network. And I think that helps so me a lot. Healthy. Yeah. And I don't think there's any one way to do it. You know, I have a board and I'll often, you know, email them or we'll video call or phone call or text each other. And yep. so we're all copied and sometimes there's one-on-ones, but like some of the healthiest leaders I know have that personal advisory board in addition to the governing board. And it just, it kind of keeps you honest, doesn't it? As a leader. Uh well, and it keeps me honest, but it also encourages me. Yeah. It's it when people say leadership is a lonely place, it is if you choose to stay there. Mm -hmm. For me, I feel like I've got a community of men around me that make me better regardless of the job that I have. So I don't feel as lonely. That's so good. Well, that thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. Anything else that was on the hard side in the, this first year or 10 months? I think one of the most beneficial resources that was given to us was Leading Transitions by William Bridges. Change happens and we look at change as an event and we expect everybody to pivot to change. But right. managing transition is really about letting go of our past and that's all the things that we loved on all the things that we didn't love. It's letting go of our past so that we have an open hand for whatever God wants to put in our hand for the future. Hmm. And so uh, if you think about the people of Egypt leaving Egypt, they were all excited for the change until they got to the wilderness. And if you reread the story, they're like, I wish we could have the melons that we had in Egypt again. They couldn't let go of pieces of the past. 
And so there's an endings, there's a middle, and then there's a new beginning. And we try to shortcut to the new beginning. And here's the haunting reality. If you, if we as an organization didn't manage this transition well, we would have never been able to step into the best that is yet to come. Mm. So how do you manage transition when, when people are experiencing different degrees and layers of transition, depending on where they're at in our organization, how do you help them end well? How do you navigate that middle period, that ambiguous middle, without people jettisoning because it doesn't feel like we're moving? How do you keep that whole group of people moving together? That's been a real challenge. There are parts that we have gotten well. There are other parts that uh, have been a struggle because I moved too fast or I didn't communicate real clearly why we were doing it or we didn't have enough care infrastructure in place to help people emotionally endure some of those seasons. So let's talk about that because, you know, you inherited what sounds like a, a reasonably healthy, growing vibrant church and a relatively this side of heaven, you know, kind of thing. We're not yeah. perfect, but like a healthy team. Uh, you had a few people who transitioned, both church and staff members, and and that's understandable. Some people would say, hey, in your first year, change nothing. Other people would say, change absolutely everything. Some would say, be very careful with what you change. So again, everyone's context is a bit different, but yours is fairly healthy. What, if anything, have you changed? Why did you change it and how did you change it? Well, when when you were asking me that question uh, earlier, the, I thought, well, we really haven't changed a whole lot until I started to write down all of the changes <laughs> that we've made. Because yeah, I sent you these in advance, that one anyway. That yeah. one. And it was like, oh, we've really changed a lot. We, <laughs> I'll just run down, just to give you a quick hitters. We completely remodeled our broadcast campus or our initial campus that we built from door to door as Lee left. We no longer received the offering during the service with bags. We installed offering boxes in the middle of transition. I reorganized our team. We have a rebrand and we're launching a new website. That's just a handful. You didn't do much really in your first 10 months. Well, and I was like, and and so if you, if you remember, I said, I don't want to create whiplash for our organization. And yet when I think about it, we introduced a lot of stuff that changed the very culture of our church, but we did so in a way that was subtle. Um, We had to have a very clear why. And the brilliance of Lee Powell, our founding pastor, is he cultivated a culture of people committed to a mission, not a person. We were committed to reaching spiritually restless and unchurched people and helping them love Jesus, serve others, and tell the world about Christ. When you have people that are committed to a mission and not a person, as long as the changes reflect the mission and the opportunity to accomplish that better, in some ways you can change whatever you want. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but people go, well, if it's going to line up with the mission and you can clearly articulate that, you, 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 uh, the classic Bill Hybels, you're moving people from here to there. You explain why we can't stay here and why there, wherever there is, will help us accomplish our mission more. People will follow along. It's the change for change's sake. It's the change so that I can establish myself as the leader for me. That's where people don't trust you yet, you know? And so for me, I had to develop trust and I had to make decisions that reflected the mission of our church, not me being the lead pastor of the organization. Oh, that's a good word to anybody transitioning into anything. On that note, if there was a trustometer, zero being nobody trusts me, 10 being everybody trusts me implicitly, 
How have you found trust developing over that first year? Nobody wants to follow a legend, but for me, Cedar Creek has watched me grow from when I was an intern. They watched, you know, the core, you know, some of the, when it was 12,000 or 1200 people early on, they saw my wife and I get married. They've seen our kids born. I've been a part of our teaching team for 10 years. So in many ways, Cedar Creek has watched me grow up. They know me really well. That helped, that really helped me have an edge, a trust edge when I stepped into the seat. And so, uh, you know, I had a large group of people come up and say, we knew you were going to be the guy. And I, I'm like, you knew before I did. So that's <laughs> crazy. Because um, I never imagined I would be in this seat, you know. Yeah. Um, I knew I would probably lead a church at some level. I just didn't think it was going to be Cedar Creek. And uh, so anyway, today, I think I think we're at a spot where I've earned some chips. Uh, but I, I don't want to uh, overestimate the the trust or the chips that I've earned. I guard those preciously because to be a good leader, as Simon Sinek says, is to really take care of the people that you have. Don't spend that trust unnecessarily. Mm. On change, any pushback to like the new website, the new makeover, the rebranding? Do have have you had people like maybe some of the people who exited? Did they go? Oh, this isn't the same place anymore. I'm out of here. Or like, what what have you heard? If any, yeah. Yeah, there are people who say this isn't the same place anymore, and and that's okay. Um, that it was that, that there was some personal tie to Lee or or a, f- a f- previous teaching pastor, and that's fine. We've been slowly, incrementally introducing the new color scheme and the new brand, where um, some people were used to like an instant switch. And so as you start to roll some of these out before the project or before everything is complete, you get a lot of this initial, I don't like that color. I don't like the way that looks, you know, that's just so drab or whatever. Right. And I'm like, I would just have to tell people, wait until it's finished and all the pieces are in place. Now, at least with our lobby remodel, people are like, this is so fresh. Uh, so uh, when I when I think about our branding, we've had multiple layers in our branding, like if you take the word Cedar Creek and our font and all that stuff, we would cram as many pictures as we could into the name Cedar Creek to give all of the faces of what Cedar Creek looks and feels like. So when I step in, I go to grayscale, one word, no layers. And there was somebody in our lobby who said, well, great lobby or great uh, logo work. My, um, my 12 year old could do that on her laptop, you know? (laughs) But that shift was so stark that it actually caught people's attention. And that brand is really an intermediary brand just to say, hey, there's something fresh going on here. And so uh, we stripped away some of the layers and made it about you matter. And, uh, and, and people are really resonating with it. So how have you dealt with that change and that pushback? How do you navigate that when you, when you hear that? Um, one of the things uh, John Stickle said in his podcast with you is he made sure that any decision that they made, they were making together as a community of people or as a community of leaders, that they're going to follow the cloud was his mm-hmm. phrase. And so if they weren't all united on it, they would wait and wait for the cloud or wait for God. That's his uh, metaphor for God to clarify with all of them. So we just did the same thing. If we were united as a group of leaders, then it, we, you can navigate those changes well because at the end of the day, your leadership team is linked arm in arm. 
So your opposition didn't come from your leaders because you processed it with your top 20, 10, 5, 50, whatever it is, but it came from the ripple effect, but becomes because you were united at the top, you knew that you would weather the storms. Yeah, here's the one thing we're learning right now is we're united at the top, but we're not always great at cascading communication and helping everybody understand what and why. And so I would say we're trying to go to school on that currently at a multi-site organization, a matrix. When you when you set up a leadership structure that's matrix-based, that I, I will say this. I don't know of anybody that's transitioned into an assignment like that um, in the country. So if you know of anybody that's transitioned into a, a matrix-based multi-site model <laughs> like I have, I'd love to learn from them because usually they step into a, a singular church and as you know, with multi-site, there are complexities that come with that that are really, really hard. It's not yeah. as simple. It's it's not that the leading one organization is, it, it's just a different kind of complexity that you want everybody to move together. And so cascading communication becomes one of those uh, challenges that we're really, we're tr- trying to sharpen the pencil on that today. Yeah, I, I can understand that with five disparate locations and online community and so on. It's complex. I'm racking my brain and yeah, I'll keep working on that list. It's a short list if it's out there. Yeah, because usually they start the matrix organization, like a lot of those young leaders, or they're still in that position. Or right. John took a single site and became multi-site. I think that's if right. I remember his story that's correctly. Right. So same yeah, it's a little bit unique. Judd, same thing. You know, Josh Gagnon started the whole thing himself. Clay Scroggins inherited a campus of a matrix organization. Yes. Yep, you're right. It's a very short list if it exists. So hit us up in the comments if you know somebody that Ben can connect with, which leads me into another question. How did you figure out how to lead something as complex as Cedar Creek when you didn't have a ton of experience leading something that size? I mean, obviously you had big responsibility, but it wasn't at this level. Yeah, I I think... um that's where you have to lean into the team. So I identified the five key seats I needed around the table to wake up every day thinking about, dreaming about, and pushing the envelope on key initiatives. Uh, We have the privilege of having the former regional manager for the Kroger company, which is a local grocery store chain. He's the regional manager. He knew how to operate multiple grocery stores and keep them aligned together. So guess who's leading our campuses? That guy, Is Ed he McCauley. on staff or volunteer? Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. been on staff. So I just i I moved him into my old seat. I was the regional campus yeah. guy, and I just said, "Hey, you've got the expertise for that." Um, I had a guy who was given the keys to operate a um, a woodworking company outside of Toledo, Ohio, and so he has become kind of a senior executive director, and he heads up our ministry services and operations. I've got an arts guy. We've got a ministries team member who who uh, leads the teams that create all the content. So as long as you get great people around the table, the burden isn't on me. And so that's how you navigate it. That's so important. And a lot of people do not have those leaders in place. It's a real challenge. Even in large churches, I'm surprised. that That's a real challenge. So you move some chess pieces around and you like the board. Well, and I, that's, again, a credit to Lee. Lee did a great job of bringing great people to the table and then empowering them to uh, step into that assignment. And so uh, it, it, in some ways, I inherited a very healthy culture. That's great. Tell me, words of encouragement to any young leaders listening, what would you, what would you say to them? So for some young leaders, I think back to where I was at five years ago, 10 years ago, in an assignment that I didn't love, restless or chomping at the bit, hungry for more, <laughs> 
um, in some ways overconfident in what I think I could accomplish or what I deserved. And so if you're a younger leader that can resonate with any of those things, I said it earlier, but don't underestimate how God is preparing you in the assignment that you have for something that he wants you to step into down the road. And here's the key distinction. It's not what you are doing now. It's not the job title or the job responsibilities or the scope of influence. It's really how you are navigating your assignment now because uh, how you are building your character and how you are leading in an assignment that's challenging is going to really prepare you to be the kind of leader when that assignment comes that's really going to last the long haul. When I encounter people who, out of ambition, want to move further faster than their character can keep them, it sets them up for what is ultimately nobody's desire. And that's a hard fall. It may be even a fall out of ministry or some leadership assignment that's irrecoverable. Now, I think everybody can be redeemed, you know, for the most part. But for each of us, we think about how you are leading in the seat that you have and then trust God to get you where he wants you to go. That's a good word. Uh, you know, David, uh, the King David, I, s- I spent a lot of time researching how he uh, really, s- by God's design, spent 20 or so years in the wait, and he trusted God every step of the way. And uh, so for me, it was really about if God wants me to be a lead pastor, I don't have to chase it. He will give it or he will make the assignment clear. And here's the haunting part of the story for me, especially years ago, is the pivotal leader in that story was Jonathan. He had every right to the throne and he willingly gave it up. That's the leader that I want to be. I want to be the kind of leader that is willing to give up leadership, even if I had a, quote, rightful place to it, if God's I don't want to use the word anointed, but if somebody comes along that needs to step into that seat. And so if I could be a leader like Jonathan, I think that's what prepared my heart to step into the assignment that I I have today. That's a good word. That's one of my books to write thing is David's 20 year waiting period. I just, uh, I, I so want to write a book on that one day. I really do. It's so powerful when you really believe that if God has called you to something, you can trust him to get you where he wants you to go. You don't have to, you don't have to hunt it down alone. Yep. And even the opportunities that David had to take matters into his own hand with some of his oh, own so powerful. saying, this is it, man. He's like, I can't, I'm not yep. going to, God yep. will give it to me. And he did. Powerful, powerful. Those are good words. Any advice to those going through a ministry transition right now, whether that's into a senior leader role or they're the new student pastor or kids pastor or, you know, new elder chair of the elder board or even in business? I mean, what what transition advice would you have? Um, Change is an event, but transitioning your team is a skill that you've got to learn. And so the, the resource that I mentioned earlier, Leading Transitions by William Bridges, learn the language of transition, not just the new direction that you want to go, because it will help you speak to what people are feeling in the midst of that change, That those hurdles that are hard to overcome. And what it does is it actually expedites the trust that they have in you as their leader so that you can accomplish the great things that you want to do. Great word, man. Lots of wisdom today, Ben. Like, seriously, this is this is good. Is there anything that you wish somebody had asked you about the transition that nobody has asked you about? Uh, I mentioned earlier, but at the end of the day, it, God is leading his church. He is the one raising up leaders. And, um, and so if I really trust that, 
then my job as a leader is to stay so connected with him that uh, whatever work he is, it's out of kind of that place, my relationship with God, that he will take our church wherever he wants it to go. Uh, when I start to, uh, I call it, uh, you know, when I start to make it about me and what I am building, my identity starts to rest in that. Um, the more I keep that clear, as John Stickle helped point out in my life, as you have mentioned in your podcast, uh, the the easier the battles are. So, hmm. Where can people find you online? Uh, my handle at Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat is Bennett Desk. And then on Facebook, uh, where I do most of my activity, because that's the primary place where I connect with our local congregation on Facebook, is C.C. Ben Snyder. C.C. Ben Snyder. And that's with a Y, right? That's with a Y. Great. Ben, thank you so much, man. I so appreciate you being, uh, well, building into leaders today. Well, thanks for having me. And and I hope it's helpful. I am just thrilled to be a part of what you do. And thank you so much for constantly helping me and our entire team lead so much better. Well, super excited for you, Ben. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Well, you can probably see why (laughs) they tap Ben on the shoulder, can't you, to be the new lead pastor. And hey, to all of you young leaders who are just trying to figure it out, man, I applaud you. I salute you. Uh, And you're probably going to want to track with Ben. So drop by the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 107. All the links to Ben's profile, including his church, Cedar Creek, and much more are going to be in the notes, as well as a few things that you can do right away. Now, I want to talk to those of you who are struggling with your time for a moment, because we all struggle with that. Well, as you may have heard, I've got a brand new resource that we'll be releasing to everybody at the end of the year called the High Impact Leader. It's all about how to manage time, energy, and priorities and get them working in your favor. Because here's my guess, you know, you barely have time to listen to this whole episode. You, you kind of missed your exercise yesterday. You're trying not to take up family time with work on Saturday and it's just challenging. Well, I've got some strategies that I share in the High Impact Leader. In fact, it's a 10 video course and workbook that will walk you through your patterns and how to optimize them so that you can actually get your life back and your leadership back and make the highest impact you can at home, at work, and beyond. So anyway, now, how do you get your hands on an advanced copy? Well, if you are anywhere near West Virginia, I'm going to be in Richmond on Friday. That's right. This Friday, the 30th, I'm going to be in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, A couple Tuesdays from now on the 11th of October, I'll be in Morgantown, West Virginia. On Friday, the 14th of October, I'll be in Indianapolis. Then I'm going to be in Memphis at the end of the month and Austin, Texas, and then Dallas and Charlotte, North Carolina. And then finally, in mid-November, Ocala, Florida, I'm going to be having, I'll be speaking on the High Impact Leader and we'll also have copies available for you. Why in those cities? Because that's where the Orange Tour is going. So you can get it at any Orange Tour stop. You can get all the Orange Tour stop details at orangetour.org. But I'm going to be in the cities I just named and I would love to connect with you. Love to see you get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. And to all of you who can't make it to an Orange Tour stop or maybe we're not coming to your region, I just want you to know Stay tuned because at the end of 2016, you're going to get your opportunity to get your hands on the High Impact Leader. Well, next week we are back with Tony Morgan, one of my favorite church leaders. He's been doing this for a long, long time in multiple churches and now is actually helping church leaders full time through an incredible 
consulting ministry he's got, and he is head of the Unstuck Group. So if your church is stuck, hey, we got you covered. We're coming back next week with Tony Morgan and some ideas to get your church unstuck. Well, who else are you going to hear from? You're going to hear from Chuck Swindoll. You're going to hear actually a conversation I'm super excited about. Jeff Brody, Jeff Henderson, and myself talking about my transition into the lead pastor role. That's coming up in a couple weeks. Todd Wilson from Exponential. Les McEwen from Predictable Success and The Synergist is going to be a guest of mine. Dave Adamson is coming up, William Vanderblumen, and so many more. So to miss it, uh, don't subscribe. But if you want to catch it, subscribe. You can do it for free on Google Play. Also do it on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. We would love to have you do that. And if this episode has helped you, share it with some friends. Hey, we are back next week with more. So we'll catch you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.